Welcome to the last 8% morning. This is JP Palu Fry. It is so great to be with you today. This is Finding Our Voice Week, where we will use our three podcasts to reflect and pause on the international story that is the response to the murder of George Floyd in Minneapolis by police and the long history of systemic racial oppression. Today, specifically, we will bring some insight into what racism is and how our misunderstanding of it can lead us to become reactive and defensive, shutting down the kind of conversation we need to have to start real change. But first, we start with ourselves. Let's walk. ground, standing tall, feeling our belly rise and fall. If you are new to the last 8% morning, we integrate three things. Movement, going for a walk, or we move as we are able, mindfulness, and mental training exercises. And so today we start by bringing mindfulness to our belly and our body. And we feel our feet touching the ground as we walk. And we feel our breath in the belly rise and fall. If you are more used to using or sensing your breath at your nose, that's completely fine. Use what works for you. Our recommendation, however, is to go with the belly, but use whatever works for you. Mindfulness is paying attention on purpose, non-judgmentally, so that we can be in wiser relationship to the sometimes uncomfortable and challenging situations we find ourselves in. We're building impulse control so we can stay longer. Even though right now it just seems like we are walking, we are doing so much more. So standing tall, feeling your body as you're walking. Feeling your hands and wrists. And we are going to move to mindfulness of listening and reflecting earlier because there is a lot to say this week. This being finding our voice week. I want to start with a story today. So again, just feeling our body, looking around, feeling grateful. 
and paying attention to sound. Recently, I was in a group discussion with some business leaders. These leaders were in positions of power. We were discussing how we as leaders could respond to the ongoing challenges in our economy. And we talked about how we needed to be paying more attention to groups on the margins and racism and calls for equity and justice. These were people who really cared. They do care. And they want to do right. And as I brought up some of the research about structural anti-black racism in the U.S. and Canada, such as being stopped by police, there's a recent Stanford study that compiled the most comprehensive evidence to date, looking at almost 100 million traffic stops conducted between 2011 and 2017. Police stopped and searched black and Latino drivers on the basis of less evidence than used to stop white drivers. And white drivers were searched less often, but are more likely to be found with illegal items. A recent study found that just having contact with the police predicts increases in black and Latino adolescents' criminal behaviors. It's another recent study. Six and 12 and 18 months later. Why? The researchers think it's because of psychological distress. And the younger the boys were, when stopped for the first time, the stronger these relationships. And there's a ton of other research of how people of color, especially black men, are singled out. And after I mentioned some of these stats to this group of leaders, one of the business leaders, and by the way, this is not the first time I've experienced this with a leader in a similar situation, they immediately became upset, quite reactive, a bit defensive. And they said the following, I don't get it. Aren't things better now? In fact, gosh, I think they're so much better than they've been in the past. My kids my kids are colorblind. They have friends of all different colors and backgrounds. I have black friends. We all get along. I think we might be making a bigger deal out of this than we need to. He went straight to a reactive, defensive place. You know, maybe he was thinking that because of the stats that I had listed, that somehow this directly implicated him of being guilty of being racist in some way. The rest of the room went silent, not entirely sure what to say or do. Now, this dynamic may feel familiar to you. And increasing in frequency as colleagues, families, and friends are having more direct conversations about these issues and their own, own role to play. Some of us who are anxious and don't manage our emotions very well or are less conscious of implicit bias when we face this kind of data and this topic, we react or we go silent. Very similar, as we've talked about in this podcast, the predictable default behaviors of we avoid and we push it away, you know, we go silent, or we get reactive and we make a mess. In today's podcast, what I want to address is what can you do when you face this challenge? For yourself, when you hear this data, and for when you engage in this kind of conversation 
with others on this topic. Specifically, what is at the heart of how people react when race is the topic? That's number one. And secondly, what is going on for us when we are faced with this topic? One of the reasons I believe that diversity and inclusion training is often ineffective in organizations is because emotions get in the way. And if people don't have tools and skills and insights to manage their emotions well, then it's going to be really difficult to make this kind of training effective. So number one, what is at the heart of how people react when race is the topic? Who is people in this scenario? We need to be direct and say it is non-black people when we are talking about anti-black racism. What I was witnessing with this executive is known as white fragility, a phrase coined by author Dr. Robin D'Angelo, who's a real expert in this area. She's a sociologist, one of my favorites. And she defined white fragility as a state in which even a minimum amount of racial stress becomes intolerable, triggering a range of defensive moves. Let me say that again. It's a mouthful. White fragility is a state in which even a minimum amount of racial stress becomes intolerable, triggering a range of defensive moves. And thinking back to my meeting with the leaders, I think this is the reaction that I was witnessing. And I think what he was trying to communicate to me is, no, no, I'm not a racist. You know, he was saying, in my life, I don't see what you mean. Therefore, there must be no problem. So we need to try to understand this reaction that he had. And by doing so, it's going to help us understand a natural reaction we all might have as we bring up this topic. So let's dig deep into this. Most of us define racism as individual acts of discrimination or prejudice, acts that anyone could do. And anybody who did those acts were a bad person. And, and I think to Archie Bunker from the TV show All in the Family. Now, if you're around my age, you will understand this reference. Uh, but he would say things, whether it was a joke or do things, treat people in a certain way that conveyed the message that white people were superior to black people. And he was shown to be a bit of a dinosaur on the show. But this is what most of us believe racism to be, kind of full stop. And, it, and so it makes sense that most of us don't see ourselves as racist because these are things that we don't do. We know not to do these things. But what many of us are missing, and this is a key part of today's episode, and what the reactive leader was missing was that racism is not just made up of individual acts conducted by racist people. It is something that's embedded within the structures of our society, from housing to education to healthcare, to who got to be sitting in that meeting in the first place. The leader may have been reflecting his observation that individual acts of racism, racism may be now more stigmatized, but just because we see less of it does not mean the system is any different. In fact, it means we talk about the system less, which is the trap and why things haven't changed despite great effort and, quite honestly, great intention. What I noticed in this meeting was that because the person did not see racism as systemic and because he only saw it as made up of individual acts, he became defensive and emotional. 
And the discussion of racism stopped there and we didn't go anywhere. And yet, of course, we know the system continues on, not because it is some abstract, preordained feature, but because we allow it to. This is why we need to understand the difference between being non-racist and anti-racist, which we talked about last session. And there's no neutrality here. We either work to change the system that undergirds racism, we are anti-racist, or we are non-racist and we allow this current system to continue. So my question to you is, are we okay with this? I don't think that's what it means to be a last eight percenter. To not rise to the challenge of this difficult situation. To not try to transform ourselves and the system as best we can. As Desmond Tutu said, if you are neutral in times of injustice, you have chosen the side of the oppressor. And that's what it means to be non-racist. We need to be anti-racist. So I think it's time to look at ourselves. Where are you at? Do you know how you react when the topic comes up? Do you know about this distinction between the system versus individual acts? And I have to be honest, this is not something that I knew. I mean, it took a lot of reading and understanding. And, you know, I'm still learning as well. So if you didn't know this distinction, that's quite all right. But now it's up to you to, I think, to, to really go deeper and think about, okay, what can I do? And this is why self-awareness matters so much and why, again, I think diversity inclusion programs don't always hit the mark. Because if we don't understand how people react, how we react, then we are faced with, when we are faced with this topic, we will never have the kind of conversation we need to have to change things. And again, this is why in the last 8% morning, we grow mindfulness, right? This is why we build self-awareness and emotional intelligence so we can be closer to our best in these difficult moments so we can understand what's going on for us, understand what's going on for others. Ibram X. Kendi wrote, the only way to undo racism is to constantly identify it and describe it and then dismantle it. And I think it starts with us. So to me, it's horrible, but I think it's also true that in this last period of time since the murder in Minneapolis, I think people are starting to wake up. There's a ton more work to do, but Look at what some of the protesting has accomplished. Within 10 days of sustained protests, Minneapolis now bans use of chokehold. And other states are looking at their policies. Dallas now is adopting a duty to intervene rule that requires officers to stop other cops who are engaged in this inappropriate use of force. New Jersey is doing a ton of work as well around its use of force guidelines. But more needs to be done. For now, what I think you can do is build your emotional intelligence. Build your self-awareness. Understand how you react and inform yourself. Read White Fragility. It's an important book. Or How to Be an Anti-Racist by Kendi. These are two really important books. And to finish, not exactly finished yet, but close to being finished, 
this is why the last 8% podcast is so focused on mindfulness. Can we be less reactive and stay even when we are feeling uncomfortable? And this is a skill we can learn, right? We're going to need to have last 8% conversations and it's not going to be easy. So we have to, again, equip ourselves. So walking, feeling your feet on the ground, looking around, standing tall, committing to paying attention, committing to examining what's going on, facing the world as it is. And I'm going to finish with a lovely piece by Leslie Dwight, who wrote, What if 2020 isn't canceled? What if 2020 is the year we've been waiting for? A year so uncomfortable, so painful, so scary, so raw, that it finally forces us to grow. A year that screams so loud, finally awaking us from our ignorant slumber. A year we finally accept the need for change, declare change, work for change, become the change. A year we finally band together instead of pushing each other further apart. 2020 isn't canceled, but rather the most important year of them all. Have a wonderful day.